What's going on, everyone? You have tuned in to Marking Out the Days. That's right, the special collaboration between myself, Dave Rosenbluth from Kicking Out at Two, and my co-host from Retromania, Kobe Naito. What's going on, man? You know, just watching a bunch of wrestling. That's what's going on, wrestling. Very, very cool. Yeah, a lot of wrestling. That's what we do every week. Uh, have a lot of fun with it. And, uh, you know, th- thank you so much for joining me uh, once again this week for marking out the days. Uh, I appreciate you uh, giving me the helm for, for a little bit here with the, um, for the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, 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 the opening here. Yeah. I'm losing my train of thought. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot to get into this week with the date being January the 7th. We've, uh, or excuse me, January the 17th. I'm really losing it today, man. I don't know what's going on. Hey, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all right. Did you get snow up your way? Uh, no, we were supposed to, as a matter of fact, okay. I was praying for us. I was praying for a snow day at work for tomorrow. Um, the snow, I guess, missed us. However, um, we are going to, uh, possibly experience some snow later this week. In fact, uh, the 18th of January, they're saying that we're supposed to get some heading into Martin Luther King, uh, weekend. So, uh, we'll see what happens over in the, uh, the, the, the nutmeg state when it comes to snow. Yeah. But um, yeah, January seventeenth, uh, we got a we got a couple of good nuggets of wrestling history um, that uh, I think we should get into this week. But first, we have to celebrate birthdays because that's what we do here on Marking Out the Days. Yes, indeed. However, before we get into the birthdays, Kobe, why don't you let everyone know what's going on on your end over on Retromania this week? Oh yeah, Retromania. We just dropped episode twelve where we're covering uh, post WrestleMania six. We're doing the nineteen ninety SummerSlam and Survivor Series. Doing some fantasy booking there. I'm talking all things Sting being the champion right now. He has just dethroned Macho Man Randy Savage in the Ultimate Challenge post uh, WrestleMania Six. So this is an interesting time, and we get the introduction of the Undertaker. Um, and I just did a bunch of like cartoon covers for the uh, the season that we have going on right now. Hulk Mania is dead, and uh, yeah, you can check that out on the Facebook page. I uh, hope you enjoy it. I'm gonna be dropping the Instagram page soon, so we can have more interactive like pictures, stuff going on for this show, marking out the days, as well as everything on Retromania and kicking out it too. Very cool. Yeah, I saw. I, I caught a couple of those cartoons. I was impressed. I thought it was. Uh, I, I'm. I'm into that sort of stuff. So I've. Uh, I, I, I certainly impressed the amount of time it took, and uh, you know, for you to, for you to do that for your show. Yeah, very very cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I got a little Huey on like drawing board. So I was like, I went wild with it last night. So I was like. I was pretty. It was pretty cool. I, I'm a big person when it comes to like colors. Like like, you know, colors have to pop, and that was one part of like when I developed my logo that like I needed like, you know, the standard basic colors, um, to, to pop right. so that like the logo stood out and like, it definitely stands out from like, from, uh, you know, for me personally, um, as a, as a viewer oh, go, scrolling through the page, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was very, it was very cool with all the different colors, the reds and the yellows and the greens. If you, if you can kind of understand yes. what, you know, appreciate the vibe I'm going I appreciate with here. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can catch all that on Retromania on Facebook page and, uh, as always, our um, our link on retromania.blogspot.com and moleholeradio.com. And uh, Dave, what's going on with you and kicking out at two? 
All right. Well, this week we just dropped part two of Second Place is the First Loser as we discuss Royal Rumble runners-up from 2004 all the way to 2018. Chris Donovan, my good buddy, he joined me last week for part one as we covered 88 to 2003. Yeah, he returned cool once again returned once again this week to cover uh, 2004 to 2018 all the woulda's, the couldas, and the shouldas and how these Royal Rumble runner-ups fare in Royal Rumble history. Like I said, we give all the love to the winners and all the guys with the great accolades, but I feel like there's a reason why these individuals were the runners-up and I thought it would be I thought it would be important to touch upon that in Royal Rumble history as we head towards the Royal Rumble in the next few weeks. Definitely. And uh, n- next week... Uh, regarding the Royal Rumble, we're gonna. I'm kicking on it too. We're gonna celebrate the 25th anniversary of the 1994 Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble, where both Bret Hart and Lex Luger simultaneously eliminated themselves, thus becoming co-winners of that year's Royal Rumble. We're going to do a special watch-along of that Royal Rumble match. So you find us on SoundCloud.com. You can also find links of the archive shows over on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. We're going to cover the Royal Rumble match from 1994. So it's not going to be a watch-along of the entire event, but we're just going to do that particular match itself the night that Brett and Lex became the co-winners of that Royal Rumble. So you can stay tuned for that uh, January the 23rd, this coming Wednesday yeah, that's cool. over at SoundCloud.com and anywhere else you can find kicking out it too. Yeah, and it's really uh, it's really uh, fun doing this show with you, Dave. I gotta say because uh, we're kind of doing the road up to the 1994 Royal Rumble in a way, uh, leading up to it. So this podcast can kind of go along as a co-companion to your podcast as well. Um, yes, you know uh, if people like doing the chronological stuff, uh, we kind of do that here. Uh, so you know it helps yeah absolutely i mean it's if you miss something on on my end on kicking out it too we make sure that we uh we cover it on the back end on marking out the days and like you said complimenting one another when it comes to certain you know time periods in wrestling history um i you know and that's in some ways like i've told you before and on this show um i try to pattern um my show in some ways chronologically but loosely uh whereas opposed to this show we stick to that date we cover that date we don't stray off on another day in wrestling history until the the you know that time comes so uh you know very cool that we are covering uh you know we'll be covering uh an episode actually the go home episode of raw uh in 1994 on january the 17th uh on today's show uh, as well as a house show that took place that same evening in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. But uh, before we get ahead of ourselves, why don't we uh, why don't we get into the birthdays this week? Let's how about it. you? Uh, how about you kick things off with us? Okay, I will kick things off by punching out the candles with uh, Muhammad Ali. Um, happy yes. birthday to the great one, Muhammad Ali. Nineteen forty-two, he was born. Yes, uh, Muhammad Ali, obviously a, a big name, just not only in boxing, but in um, in pop culture and society. Uh, an individual who, um, you know, was once known as Cassius Clay mm-hmm. and uh, an individual who, um, you know, for, fought for civil rights in the United States and, uh, you know, be, 
became a big name in that aspect as well as in the professional you know boxing realm and his 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 numerous fights with uh, you know George Foreman and Joe Frazier and of course we you know this being a wrestling podcast some of the memorable things he had been involved in in professional wrestling mainly being the the outside ring enforcer for the main event of WrestleMania one yes. uh, which most people remember him for um, you can't I'm forget surprised. the actual first fusion match of uh, him and Anoki wrestler versus that's uh, right. boxer. That's well. right. How could, that was Vince yeah. McMahon. Or even the stuff uh, promoting with that. Gorilla Monsoon too. Yes. If, if I'm not mistaken, yes, I, I completely spaced and forgot. No, about you're that. good. But yeah, um, that's that's another reason why we're bringing him up. He's very synonymous with the wrestling culture as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He, I know he made a few appearances in. Uh, uh, WCW, mm-hmm. um, and I think when Hogan came in, I believe he, he was, yeah, something like that. I believe he had a few, you know, so, small, quick appearances. But um, I'm actually kind of surprised that, um, you know, his name was not put into the the celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame, uh, since that has become a regular thing in the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I I'm kind of surprised that you know. He hasn't been put in yet, but I would imagine uh, within the next couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in this year, considering that he just passed away um, last year. Yeah, uh, the, you know they put him in the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame. But you know, be cool to have time him. will tell. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he deserves it. You know, if anything, like you know his his mainstream status um, helped attract you know mainstream viewers to watch wrestling and especially that first wrestlemania um, definitely and i think that's what definitely helped that wrestlemania was the celebrity effect um that you know we'll, i'm sure that we'll touch upon not only on this show but on on my show as well kicking out it too somewhere down the line yeah. but you can't take away muhammad ali's contributions even though they weren't there weren't very many his contributions to the world of professional wrestling right Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, Uh, stinging like a bee here too. A guy who is in the actual uh, celebrity wing of the WWE Hall of Fame, Kid Rock, born 1971. Just a side note. Um, Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. The KID um, provided uh, many many of soundtracks to some... uh, some uh, highlight videos in WWE. More in particular, that one, I'm sure you remember it very well. Uh, that song, Lonely Road of Faith, yes. Yes, uh, in 2002. How can I forget that? Uh, what, what the storyline was, was Flair was trying to... Ric Flair was the co-owner of the WWF, and he was trying to... Uh, to, to stop Vince McMahon from bringing the poisonous NWO to the WWF. And he had introduced this, uh, this video of the history of the company... And the song behind it, it's probably it's probably the greatest, uh, you know, music video that I think WWE had put out with at that time mm-hmm. um, with all their uh, so with all their stuff. They call it the WWF or WWE Desire video. Yes. So if any of you are listening and you want to go check it out, you're not familiar with it. Uh, click on YouTube and and write Kid Rock Lonely Road of Faith, and I'm sure you will find uh, the the video that aired and. Uh, February of 2002 on Monday Night Raw. It's unbelievable just the history of of the the, the company that was um, illustrated in that video and the song behind it with Kid Rock. It's, it's, it's truly a work of art. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, how could we forget the uh, also, are you scared? When he did the music for the American Badass. Um, Undertaker, yeah. yes, that's right. It was a big moment yeah. there for him. 
Um, that was a little that for me as a fan. That was a little. Um, I I didn't know how to take to that because I I was you know I'm a traditional wrestling fan like yourself and I didn't know uh, I didn't know how to take to American Badass Undertaker even though it sounded cool when he came out to the Kid Rock song um, I just didn't know uh, how how I was going to react to that you know version of the Undertaker character because so, I was so used to the dark side mm-hmm. um, you know the the, the Undertaker so, I I will never forget uh, that night it was so surreal to see him like that. Um, not the Undertaker, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, Kid Rock definitely a, a big, a big part of that moment for me. Um, so yeah, happy birthday, Kid Rock. Yes, very, very cool. And uh, who else do we have on the uh, the, the birthday docket this Last week? Last but not least, I'm just gonna give a big shout out to Mark Briscoe, born 1985. I'm a fan of the Briscoe brothers. Um, Definitely appreciate their tag team wrestling and what they've contributed to uh, contributed to the wrestling uh, industry. And uh, there's some roughneck guys. They kind of remind me of, uh, you know, a rougher, more technical version of uh, the Bushwhackers. Um, okay. So, and it's kind of like what we've created at Retromania on Hulkamania is Dead. We, we have the Bushwhackers a little more violent. Uh, like the sheep herders um, yes, that they used yes. to be. So yeah, it, it's really cool. I, I like I like Mark Briscoe. So uh, shout outs to him. Happy birthday. Yeah, uh, I don't know too much about the Briscoes. I'm not a avid Ring of Honor follower viewer. I try to watch as much as I can. But um, those guys have, uh, you know, in the in the 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 17 year existence of that company have been there since day yes. one, and so um, they've really been through the evolution of Ring of Honor and have really made a name for themselves by sticking with them uh, for. For for the the seventeen years that they've been you know together as a team, uh, I'm sure they've had plenty of offers to go to WWE and into the NXT uh, you know brand uh, a few times over. Yeah. But they've been loyal to, um, to to ROH, and I think that's pretty cool. You don't find that too often in wrestling these days, especially when it comes to uh, big money contracts. No, agreed. Uh, a dream tag team uh, matchup for me would be brother versus brother versus brother versus brother. The uh, Tamatanga. Tongaloa versus the Usos versus the Briscoes versus the Young Bucks. Um, that would be pretty cool. Right? I would I, I would definitely get behind that. That that would be pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday, Mark Briscoe. Um, all right. Let's let's move on. You ready to go to the the first noteworthy thing of our day of January seventeenth? Yeah, in 1987, a very special edition of Piper's Pit took place where um, Rowdy Rowdy Piper uh, hosted a a special edition of the pit with President Jack Tunney rewarding Hulk Hogan with a trophy. I don't remember if it was for like Wrestler of the Year. For having the title for three years. Okay, so he gave him a trophy for having the title for three years, and uh, I remember watching this back, you know, just recently, uh, you know, taking notes for for today's show, and uh, I just remember Jack Tunney was like, "All right, everyone, I'm gonna read what's written on the trophy." <laughs> like, <laughs> there was no real like professional formal announcement. Right. It was just like, "We're gonna give Hulk Hogan a trophy because he's held the belt for three years." Meanwhile, Bruno and Bob Backlund had the belt for like fucking fourteen years combined. And where's their goddamn trophy? Yeah, I'm not you know? sure if they ever did but, gimmicks like that. They might have, but uh, yeah, 
Not, I, not that but, I yeah, know. So, so I thought it was kind of silly, but, um, you know, Hulk, they brought Hogan out. They trotted him out. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I vaguely remember this. But going back watching it earlier this week, I was um, – I just looked at I just looked at it as like very like campy and very um, like another way to, to to really put Hogan over like it was like over the top you know that you had to do this but they went this route so that they could um, they could get um, you know to Hogan and Andre and eventually Andre came out and uh, you know subtle nuances is what I'm big about in in in, in storytelling and. Andre just came out and basically shook Hogan's hand. He had a very firm handshake. Hogan didn't know what to make of it. And all of a sudden he was like, three years is a long time to be champion. And he got up and he just walked out. The long and time Piper to be didn't know what to young. make of it. Uh, yeah. And, and Hogan, you know, he just kind of went back to, you know, putting himself over. And I reached the mountaintop, brother. And this is such a great honor, brother. And Andre's my brother, brother. And... This was the the beginning stages of the the the, the seeds of dissension mm-hmm. between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant as we headed towards their showdown at WrestleMania three. Yeah, um, I thought this was a good way to to start that, um, and it made you want more. Um, if I was you know if I was thirty five years old back in nineteen eighty seven, I'd probably be just as excited to want to know what happened. Um, and why Andre came out and was very short with Hogan as a, uh, the same way I was in 1987 when I was four or five years old, you know? Yeah. Because even as a, I don't remember my thoughts on this as a kid, um, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap this up, but this to me was, um, I'm sure it, it left a lot of people puzzling and wondering, well, why did Andre just come out just to, you know, congratulate Hogan and, and the way he ended his segment with like three years to be a champion is a long time and then just got up and walked out like it has to make everyone wonder what he was doing out there in the first place yeah um, it's it's subtle enough as WWE standards go um, it, it was definitely perfect storytelling for that and at the time Andre hadn't been defeated um, to, to WWF standards as again yeah um, well, just, just like he hadn't been slammed Correct. in WWF until Hogan did it. But meanwhile, you go on YouTube, you find Brody and Stan Hansen and anyone else that's Harley done Race. it. Slam Andre. Harley Race slammed him. Yeah, in Japan. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's... But, you know, WWE, if it doesn't happen here, it didn't happen anywhere. Well, they got to rewrite history, too, as well. That's you know, if, 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 if they don't... If not Winners. that many people saw it before. Winners. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, 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 that's, that's very true. There's no truer statement than the than the winners write history. And uh, at the time, they certainly rewrote their own history. Yeah. Um, if, if people didn't see it before, they made sure they saw it afterwards. So, yeah, um, I mean, I guess it was a smart strategic uh, marketing tool on their part mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, promote that Andre was undefeated and he had never been slammed because more people were watching wrestling in 87 than they were four or five years prior. Plus, it's like, so. it's, it's, it's wrestling is like looking at, at a, comparing to comic books. You can like relaunch once you go to a different yeah. fad, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. So they, they could retell a story or kind of rekindle something or this has never been done. Yeah. Uh, wrestling, wrestling is, is notorious for recycling, um, you know stories and 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 
and things like that. Yes. And it's no different than television and movies and, and, and other forms of entertainment, music, and even sports. Yep. Things get recycled and reused, and that's just the way it is. You yes, know? definitely agreed. And as the cycle continues, as people are getting body slammed, as the snow falls down right now, I'm looking out my window in the basement. Uh, it's coming down. We got like seven inches here in Maryland right now. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if the snow fell down January 17th. 1994 um you know what it wouldn't surprise me if the snow did fall on january 17th 1994 um i mean you tell me uh what what kind of snowfall are we talking about here are we talking about the snowfall that took place in madison square garden on that same evening or are we talking about the uh the snowfall that took place in uh i believe it was uh virginia or west virginia uh where monday night raw was held on that particular evening, there were there were many different storms of brewing in the World Wrestling Federation on that particular yeah. date in 1994. Yeah, two of two, in fact, uh, Richmond, Virginia, and Madison Square Garden. You're correct. Okay, it's Richmond. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, for some reason, I thought West Virginia, but that's actually. Oh, now that I think about it, it's for when we're going to talk about sold out '99. Yeah. In, a, in a few moments, well, but let's let, let's let, touch let, on let, the Monday let, Night talk. Raw first because that was actually taped yeah. on the 10th. Um, so yes. it was a little bit before, but you know, it aired on the 17th. So we kind of do it chronologically here to where the release date comes, unless it's like synonymous yes, to where like somebody died or a title change, you know, or, you know, yeah, something major, yeah. something huge. Yeah. Uh, speaking um, of somebody died before we go on, I'm sorry. This was the day that, um, Iron Mike Sharp passed away 2016. And I'm just bringing him up because randomly he shows up in the Madison Square Garden show that I'll be covering. It's just sometimes our storylines or, you know, how last week it was like the brother stuff going on and infuting. You know, it's just weird yep. stuff happens every day that we cover here at Marking Out the Days. So, again, thank you for the bizarre ride. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so would you like me to uh, to, to get things started when it, on, the, on the Monday Night Raw Yeah, side? let's do that. All right, all right. Um, on Monday Night Raw, um, January 17th, 1994, not a whole lot really took place. This was the go-home show for the 1994 Royal Rumble event, which was to take place um, that following Saturday, not normally on Sundays. The pay-per-views fell on Saturdays at some times. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the case for uh, the 1994 Royal Rumble. I talked about it kind of on uh, a recent edition of, um, of this show, marking out the days where the 93 Rumble – Actually, no, I'm sorry. I talked about it on last week's Kicking Out at 2. The 93 Rumble took place on a Sunday uh, afternoon, which was at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which I thought was kind of interesting. But this Rumble takes place on a Saturday. This is the go-home for Raw, and not too much took place. They were really hyping up the the Yokozuna-Undertaker casket match. Um, Yokozuna being uh, scared of the casket, and, uh, you know, him and Mr. Fuji were... In the middle of the ring. Yeah. And uh, as they were in the middle of the ring, uh, you know, Vince was ca- trying to egg on Yokozuna being afraid of the casket. Double and you can't even say D. the word cat. Yeah, you can't even say the word casket. <laughs> and Mr. Fuji is Mr. Fuji is like, no, Vince, my man, you know, say casket. <laughs> and then uh, and then Paul Bearer comes out with the, the double wide 
double deep Barely. casket for Yokozuna's rotting carcass. <laughs> and uh, so, Mister, so Paul Bear comes out, lights her out, and uh, you know Vince is trying to get a handle on the situation. And Fuji, I'll never forget Fuji. He's like, "You, Paul Bear, you make funny face. You look like you look funny face. Yes, I. My Yokozuna gonna squash the casket." And <laughs> He came out, and um, Yo- and Vince was like, "He's gonna squash the casket," and he's like, "This I gotta see." And <laughs> mind you, as this as this is all going on, um, an individual who was managed by Mister Fuji at the time was also guest color commentator for Crush. the evening, Crush, um, from from Kona, Hawaii, brother. And uh, he, I found Crush's Hawaiian accent to be very obnoxious. Ugh, um, I don't think it's even real, to be honest with no, you. I don't think it is. I really don't, I don't think, think it so, is because I didn't. I never remembered Crush having a Hawaiian accent, but he was like, you know, Vince McMahon, you be quiet, brother. Yokozuna, he not for the casket, brother. And it was just like it, it was. It was just very like obnoxious and annoying. Yeah. Although I did like the aspect of the guest color commentator each week on Raw. I thought that kind of brought something different to Raw at the time, Agreed. and I think it's some. I think it's something that WWE could implement in today's landscape, yeah. either on Raw or SmackDown, where they take a guy who's not featured regularly on TV enough, maybe someone like a Zack Ryder or someone like an Apollo Crews or even a Titus O'Neil, and you have them just, just try them out each week. Try a different guy right. each week and see what sticks and see what doesn't. You know what I Agreed. mean? And you could either develop them into a future color commentator or you can develop them you know, into a storyline on the main roster shows. I mean, I don't see why they, they don't try more stuff like that nowadays. But I thought it was cool in 1994. You know, even even as bad as Crush was in this role, um, I thought it was interesting that he was with Vince on this show. But nonetheless, Crush is doing the commentary, and Yokozuna opens it up, and boom, there's The Undertaker out of the double-wide, double-deep <laughs> casket. And uh, he, he, he ran out of the ring, and he tripped and fell over, and then he heard the gong, and... You know, Crush was like, he tripped, brother, he tripped. Don't be afraid. What's the matter with you, Yokozuna? He tripped, brother. Uh, he's going to get, he's going to take care of Undertaker, the Royal Rumble, brother. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I, I mean, I remember watching that as a kid, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, it was a fun little segment, and I was looking forward to that Royal Rumble event um, after watching that. Um, other uh, notable, or should I say lack thereof, um, uh Situations that transpired on this edition of Raw. Owen Hart won a squash match over a jobber guy that I don't even know his Terry name. Terry Austin. Tataka did. Okay, Terry no Austin. To Stone Cold. Uh, <laughs> good thing. And, uh, you know, because if he was related to Steve Austin, he was losing that many matches, man. Whew, I don't know. Um, and then Tatanka, uh, I believe, wrestled uh, George South. George South. Yep. George South, yes. Tatanka wrestled George South and came out the victor. Uh, Diesel uh, defeated somebody else. Scott I don't remember Powers, his name. I apologize. No relation to Jim. Scott pa- No relation to Jim. Well, Jim was fucking pretty shitty after Paul Roma left him. So um, I, can't, I can't imagine that Scott and Jim would have uh, made a powerful combination. Pun completely intended there. Yeah. Um, and then the main event was the Macho Man. Ooh, yeah. mm-hmm. 
as he went after uh, IRS, the tax man, and uh, won by disqualification after Crush, who was, I'm sick and tired of this rat, disrespecting me, brother. And he got in the ring, and he beat on the Macho Man. Then we kind of saw like a little mini Royal Rumble take place at the end with Tatanka and Yokozuna and Lex Luger and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Diesel. They got involved, and it was a you know cool little way to end the show. Uh, but the, the the big uh, the, the big development on this show was the ongoing uh, uh, correspondent phone calls from Stan Lane at Madison Square Garden, where he um, was giving updates to the, the the live audience watching at home of the developments during the One Two Three Kid Marty Jannetty Tag Team Title Defense against the Quebecers, mm-hmm. uh, which which I thought was a cool little. Um, a cool addition to the show and going back overall um i enjoyed watching this monday night raw it wasn't bad it wasn't terrible um it was kind of fun to go back and watch this what i really loved most about this not just the yokozuna uh casket thing and not the end but when they had todd pettengill do the royal rumble report i as a kid i used to get so hyped for those pay-per-view reports and you would hear new developments in the card and 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 sometimes you would see like the video packages leading up and then they would announce the match and sometimes it was like Todd Pettengill in front of a green screen, or they had somebody in the studio, like me and Gene Okerlund, uh, and with the with the, the the video monitors behind him. I thought that stuff was so cool, um, and I wish they would do more of that too yeah. in today in today's uh, t- today's WWE. Agreed. But uh, what was your take on this episode of Raw? And then let us l- let us all know what took place um, at Madison Square Garden that very same evening. Sure, yeah. Uh, th- I, I, like I said. Uh, I agreed with you. I definitely enjoyed the Monday Night Rawls from uh, 93 to 1997. I could watch those like anytime. Just throw them on. Um, They're great little two-hour digestible shows, sometimes an hour, you know, um, depending on Uh which time slot they were doing at the time. So this is another one that was easy to watch, uh, despite it having like jobber squash matches, but it's still fun. Uh, And Randy Savage wrestling again. Um, having that match with IRS, despite it just being an IRS match, but uh, and the DQ finish, but still, it's it it was a fun raw. And then having the the end, it really capped everything off. It's like a, it was reminiscent to how they do the go home shows for the Raws. Now it's like they always do that. Um, so I'm not sure yeah. if this was the first time it had happened, but uh, definitely very cool to see. It was it was yeah, a little more absolutely. organic this way, uh, felt. Oh yeah, for sure. It didn't feel very um, contrived and uh, and 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 very constructed. Mm-hmm. It was it was actually uh, one of the, uh, the 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 better put together editions of Raw at that time. Yes, definitely agreed. All right, so um, moving on to the January seventeenth, nineteen ninety four Madison Square Garden house show that they had um this is a fan cam so it it's available on youtube you can look it up just look up that date msg and that'll be right there it's pretty cool um it's funny because i also have a fan cam uh review that jimmy and i did on a bonus episode of retromania it was the macho man randy savage and bret hart from 1994 match that they had for the title in japan really yeah okay <laughs> i have to check that out that sounds like something i'd get yeah into. it was it was fun um 
and it's 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 really cool because this is like the time period where handy cams are coming into play, you know. Um, so yep. this is that rare little window of where, you know, they were synonymous at shows and later, you know, the next year would be the MSG show of the departing where, you know, um, Hunter and Diesel and Razor and Sean all said their goodbyes. Yep. 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 So, uh, yeah, so this was kind of reminiscent of all that. Um, but the quality isn't too bad. It's, it's. It's watchable if you want, but I will do my best to run it down right now so that you might not have to. Um, <laughs> Steiner, Rick Steiner versus Ludwig Borga at the beginning. Uh, terrible match, very slow and plotting, and they end up fighting on the outside and they get a double count out. Nothing to write home at about at all. Before Now, before you get into the next match, if I'm not mistaken... Um, would would this be Ludwig Borges' last match in the WWF? I remember hearing a story that he might have broke his ankle or hurt himself during this match, yep. um, result, resulting in him not being able to compete against Tatank, Tatanka at the Royal Rumble later that week. Yep. Uh, I, I believe that okay. is this, this is the synonymous night. Okay, All yeah, right. this night has Continue. a lot of uh, has a lot of like little gems in it. Um, Next okay. up, we have the WWF Intercontinental Championship match. It's Double J Jeff Jarrett against Razor Ramon. The crowd is going apeshit for Razor. He is so over right now, and it just like makes me think, like, man, they could have done. He could have been the WWF champion in my eyes. Um, do, what What are your thoughts on Razor potentially being the WWF champion? Yes, ninety four, ninety five. Um, you know what? Uh, it's funny that you say that because um, he's a name that uh, I, I brought up in a recent edition of Kicking Out at Two. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride, yes. where we discuss the greatest wrestlers to never wear the World Heavyweight Championship. And he's one of those guys that we discussed. Mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, um, 11, 12 years old, thinking to myself, you know, why isn't Razor Ramon fighting for the WWF Championship? Like, he's he's been the Intercontinental Champion three or four times. He doesn't, you know... Why, why someone as good as him is not competing for the WWF championship? Like, I'll be honest with you, um, when Michaels won the title in 96, I was kind of hoping we would see a Razor Sean um, ladder match for the WWF title as, like, the rubber match to their two previous ladder matches. That would have been cool. Um, you know, in, in 96. Unfortunately, um, for, for, for the WWF at the time, Razor Ramon Scott Hall would end up going to to WCW in May of '96, but uh, you know I I definitely would have been behind Razor Ramon as the World Wrestling Federation champion. At the same time, though, hindsight being 2020, I understand why they didn't put him in that position. Not because he wasn't talented enough, but I feel like um, they probably felt his talents were better suited. To be like the a mainstay in the Intercontinental Championship picture to help other guys to help them get the run. yeah exactly um, yeah, yeah exactly like Jeff Jarrett who was fairly new to WWF programming at that time yes indeed um, so this is like a slow plotting type match um, fans here at MSG um, are still hot though they're uh, they're just as hot as the Smelling Moon Coliseum in Richmond Virginia. That you covered. <laughs> the smelling moon is that—that that was the real name, right? If yeah, I'm not mistaken. Ridiculous. 
Oh my God! The smelling moon. Yeah, smelling. What's, what's, smelling what's, monsoon is all I think of, which would be, you'd have to I sit in gorilla position and have somebody sit in gorilla position on on you, you know, or something. Yeah. <laughs> the smelling moon. Let me. What's the arena across the street called? The stinky balls. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. The stink. The stinky balls center. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Sweaty balls. The sweaty oh balls bingo goodness. hall. That's in Philadelphia, by the oh, way. Oh, true, true, true. <laughs> Just unofficially named. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. Continue. No, it's all good. I like having little uh, off riffs. Uh, but yeah, so this is a like a slow plotting type match where Jeff Jarrett's utilizing um, sleeper hold stuff and uh, trying to wrench the arm of Razor Ramon. He actually does a nice assisted backflip, like Razor assists him in the heat does a backflip while he's got uh, Razor's arm rung and it goes right into a choke slam from Razor. This is a cool little spot. Oh, nice. So they're both down. Uh, we get them running against the ropes. We get a crossbody from Jeff Jarrett, Razor Ducks. Referee Earl Hebner eats that crossbody and uh, we get the Razor's Edge set up, but Shawn Michaels comes out and the crowd is going ape shit. Like they fucking hate Shawn right now. Um, not wow. a guy who was liked at this time. Um, and he he grabs Jeff Jarrett while the referee is still um, down and he was going to get, you know, Razor's Edge. He grabs his leg and pulls and saves Jeff Jarrett. Um, but he gets punched by Razor. Then uh, Jeff Jarrett gets a Razor's Edge. The ref finally sees one, two. Shawn Michaels pulls Razor's leg out from under the ring and the referee calls for a DQ, and we get a bunch of, like, uh, Sean and Jeff Jarrett, uh, like, buddy-buddy stuff, and they duck blows from Razor Ramon, and he chases them out of the ring, and they kind of, you know, tease him back and forth, but the crowd is going wild for this. Um, not, a, not a feud hotter than Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels at the time, to be honest. No, certainly not. You know what's interesting, too, is, you know, as you're, as you're talking about... Um, the, the, the crowd interaction and their participation in the match. Um, it's, it's very interesting because just two months later, they'll be hosting WrestleMania 10 in that very yep. same building. So it's kind of, it's kind of ironic where, um, where that storyline was headed and how it blo- how it was blown off and culminated in that very same building. Yep. I, I think that's I think that's just something interesting that just kind of popped up in my head that I was very I was kind of fascinated. I with. think the booking was done so intricately at the time. Um, you know, they're thinking about a house show right now, <laughs> so they're teasing a house yeah. show, and then later they advertise the WrestleMania tickets going on sale for March twentieth. WrestleMania ten will be here at the Garden. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, it's that's... pretty cool. And uh, yeah, like literally, Shawn Michaels like ducked to go under the ring, and the fans like screamed so loud to like warn Razor, and then he like moved out of the way after Razor turned, and it was just like talk about like fan control, man. Yeah, the two guys that are uh, you know uh, masters ma- masters of their domain, so Definitely. to speak. Uh, you know, those two guys definitely could, you know, especially during a time period, too, when, you know, it's been spoken publicly amongst, you know, podcasters, critics, and even people within the industry that, you know, wrestling was not in the greatest place financially in 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, they and, called them the you dark know, days. For, 
Yeah, but at the same time, and I've I've always said this, and I'm sure you could probably attest to it as well. Living in the in the Northeast area, wrestling fans in the Northeast are probably some of the most loyal fans ever. Yes. They'll go and see any kind of wrestling, good, bad, or yep. ugly. And you could make an argument for for wrestling fans down south True. as well. But in the Northeast, they will go to just about anything. And and I and I think that point is proven based on the WrestleMania that's coming up in April in New Jersey. Um, most wrestling fans, or should I say a good portion of wrestling fans, are not 100% solidly behind WWE's product um, right now. Um, but, however, they'll still go buy a ticket because it's WrestleMania. And, you know, it, a testament to the, to the people that were in attendance at the Garden that night for that house show that, you know, they still went and... They got a hell of a performance uh, between uh, not only just uh, you know Scott Hall and and Jeff Jarrett, but with Shawn Michaels' inclusion into that match as well. Um, do you happen to have the attendance, by the way, for um, that show? You know what? Let me look at it right here. It is nine thousand. Ooh. So uh, Ooh, very yeah. hot. That's rough. Very hot. That, that's yeah. I mean, like, if, if you're describing it as being, like, super hot in that building for that, you know, in terms of the crowd energy, um, did it sound did it sound like 9,000 people when they were getting into it? Or was it, like, did it sound like the, the building was full? Uh, no, it sounded like it was filled. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Fans were hot. Uh, and it might just be I mean, the, the section of the guy who had the camcorder in. But, uh, no, I think, okay. they, like, looking at the fans, they were hot. Um, there's a fight that breaks wow. out later too. So, yeah. Ooh, okay. So All one right, thing cool, though, cool. I did miss um, that, which is not on the YouTube page. It's Scott Putsky defeating Iron Mike Sharp in the first match. So uh, Iron Mike, he's uh, Happy Death Day. I don't know. That's that's morbid. Sorry. Did Sharp, you ever hear? Did you ever hear? Sharp of the did week. Did you ever hear? <laughs> I know we always manage to shit on someone that's passed Sorry. away. Um, did, did you ever hear the story about how Iron Mike Sharp was such a, a, a germaphobe no. that? So I forget who it was. I want to say I heard it on Pritchard before on Pritchard's podcast, but I might have read it somewhere else. But um, Iron Mike Sharp used to shower religiously, like in the buildings, like before a match, okay. after a match. He would take these like really long showers and. He was working a show for WWF one time, and he it was after he was done wrestling, he was in the shower, and apparently he was in the shower for so long that all the, all the wrestlers were gone, all the officials in the company were gone, the people were leaving the building. Like that work in the building and the concessions and security and the people that work behind the, behind the scenes in the building were leaving, and he was still in the shower. <laughs> They were shutting the lights off when they realized he was still showering. And then he had to get up and clean himself off, and they had to wait for him. But, yeah, legit true story. I think Pritchard might have told it on one of his shows. But Iron Mike Sharp was notorious for <laughs> being, like, this super clean freak. Um, like, very, you know, germaphobe. Um, and then uh, another interesting Iron Mike Sharp story <laughs> that I can recall. Uh, during my time on the Ken Reedy show, we used to have a regular caller by the name of 
I'll give him a shout out, even though he probably doesn't listen to me because he doesn't like me very well. But um, we had a regular caller by the name of Mike Ferrara, and Mike was pretty wild when he when he would get on the phone and shout call. Shout out to Mike. Um, I guess he'd come up with these outlandish things. Yeah, um, and uh, Mike called in. Uh, I think we did a show the day. It was announced that Iron Mike Sharp had passed away, okay. and he called in, and you know mentioned you know that Iron Mike Sharp had you know had passed away, and he told this story about how Iron Mike Sharp took his aunt or his aunt out on a date one night mm. years and years ago, and uh, I don't remember if he told me that he met Iron Mike Sharp if or if uh, you know he just heard the story from his aunt, but um, you know he could have been the nephew of Iron Mike Sharp. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least that's what he was trying to, at least that's what he was trying to tell us at the end of that phone call that is, Mike always that had is a, hilarious. A, a, that's funnier than yeah. those stand Mike, Mike <laughs> almost had it a you know he was the kind of guy that liked to uh you, you didn't ex- you didn't know what to expect yeah. with him um and it could it could go one way or the other but uh yeah that's that when it comes to iron Mike sharp yep yeah, that's that's about all I got for it funny as hell uh yeah so <laughs> Mike Iron Mike Sharp, you were synonymous on this day, specifically January 17th, for the Rumble, the story that we got, for your death day as well. Um, And for being a clean son of a bitch. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Uh, And for staying around. Thanks for hanging around. Uh, So moving on the card here, just one other thing I wanted to look at here. Uh, Pro Fight DB, where we get a lot of our information and stuff. Um they have Jeff Armstrong listed for the match with Razor Ramon and Jeff Jarrett. Now, I can recall while watching this earlier today and last night, they said Double J Jeff Jarrett. So not sure why they have him listed as Jeff Armstrong. I know this is when Jeff Jarrett had just came on the scene, correct? In WWF. Yeah, I believe he... I believe. J- yeah, I believe Jarrett started in late 93, I want to say, like towards the tail end, like in like maybe November or December of 93. Okay. Um, Jeff Armstrong, that's interesting. Um, so so the the YouTube video you watched of the fan cam, they introduced him as Double J Jeff Jarrett? Yes. So I think this information is wrong because okay. the next match they have listed Yokozuna defeating Virgil, which is not correct. Harvey Whippleman comes out, he insults the crowd, and he talks about total destruction, which was kind of his promo, ironically. Um, And he talks about Adam Bomb being introduced into the New Generation Rumble, Royal Rumble, that'll be held later tonight here. And uh, Yokozuna comes out, and he takes on Tatanka, not Virgil. Tatanka. How can they be in two places right. at once? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Tatanka starts out hot on the outside. Um, they're like going wild. This is actually a WWF championship match. Um, so Tatanka hits Yokozuna with a salt bucket while the referee is down. There's a lot of referee going down spots. This is a house show, so they kind of play the same note over and over again sometimes. Um and uh, we get the visual pin with Tatanka over Yokozuna, but um, the referee sees it too late, so we get a one-two kick out. Um, Tatanka goes to the top rope. He gets knocked off by Mr. Fuji while the referee is looking at Yokozuna. We get a big leg drop from Yokozuna. One, two, three. This match is over. And uh, Yokozuna retained. He squishes Tatanka. The refs come out. They get a stretcher for Tatanka. 
And uh, then Yokozuna beats him oh with boy. the Japanese flag. Little little disrespectful there, but yeah. Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> that that wouldn't that wouldn't really uh, age well in twenty. No, no, no. So um, considering how people are offended by everything, yeah. so um, <laughs> that um, that happens, and the stretcher comes out, and uh, the camera cuts, and the next scene that we have is the Mounties, plural, coming out with Johnny Polo, and uh, they're taking on. The tag team champions, Marty Jannetty and the One Two Three Kid. This is for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Um, we get some 10 punches in the corner from Marty and the Kid. They're doing a lot of the rocker stuff right here. Um, we get a bunch of kicks from the Kid. They wear down the Kid and Marty. The Mounties, that is. Then we get the Kid up on the top rope. Guess what? The referee's distracted. And Johnny Polo pushes uh the one two three kid off and we get a big superplex um from the kid from the mountie to the kid sorry uh and then we get that double team assisted somersault move from the mounties one two three new tag team champions this match goes about 20 minutes it was okay um but yeah there's a tag team title change and again uh hot off the heels of last week's show and uh, going into your show next week about the Royal Rumble with the tag team titles. Yeah, I mean, this was a big uh, point of contention on that same episode of Monday Night Raw earlier in the evening where the the post-match interview that Vince conducted with Brett Nolan was discussing, um, you know, the the uncertain uh, opportunity that they may not be able to get re- with the results of the, uh, the the championship match at Madison Square Garden. Um, I found it uh, I found it to be pretty cool and interesting um, as a kid. You know, like I said on last week's show uh, when we talked about it, I briefly mentioned it that you know I, I was like, "What? There's two shows going on at the same time, and one of them's not on TV. Like, what's yeah. going on?" And and so they they kind of you know um, gave us the impression that you know that something else was taking place and then you know stan lane would phone it in uh a few times during some of the matches and discuss the uh the, what's going on the results yep. and uh I, what i found about interesting about stan lane calling in he called in during um i forget which match it was i want to say it was during the diesel mm-hmm. match at the end uh he called in and uh he didn't even announce that the quebecers won the titles he was like that johnny polo he got away with he it was highway robbery what he did <laughs> and uh didn't even say like oh the quebecers won the titles or they're the new champions it was like vince had to like you know almost like prompt stan lane to finally say like did they win did they win and i think crush was the one that actually the only good thing he did on commentary that night on raw was like he's like oh well there you have it brought a new tag team champions the quebecers and then that's when you knew right then and there like just the way that stan lane delivered it or lack thereof um i thought was uh rather interesting and it goes to show um you know his longevity as a commentator at that time yeah. for the WWF. Yeah, definitely. I, I can kind of see, like, especially someone coming from the outside, they're like, all right, you're going to announce something that is happening right fucking now, but act like it happened before, you know, but, you know, like, you have to, like, do the time thing with a tape show. Yeah. It, it could be confusing for them sometimes, but uh, 
us as wrestling fans were like, we get it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So yeah, uh, the title change right here for the tag team titles. That's pretty cool for everybody to see at a house show. Um, and definitely having Kid selling the injuries right there. Um, and then the tape cuts, and it comes back, and we have Fink announcing the tickets going on sale for WrestleMania 10, like I spoke of earlier. And then we have the new generation Royal Rumble. And I'm going to go through this real quick. I'm going to list off all the guys that were involved, starting with the first in chronological order. We have Diesel, Sir Mo, Butch, 123Kid, Scott Steiner, Iron Mike Sharp. He comes in for a hot second and gets thrown the fuck out. Uh, so, hello, goodbye. Today is your day. Um, <laughs> Samu of the Head Shrinkers, Bob Backlund, Jeff Jarrett, Virgil, Bam Bam Bigelow, Macho Man Randy Savage, Adam Bomb comes in, Sergeant Slaughter makes an appearance and immediately eliminates Adam Bomb. So, good showing from Adam Bomb here. Um, Crush comes in, brada brada. Mabel, Jim Powers making another appearance. Uh, no, his brother made an appearance. I'm sorry. Uh, Bastion Booger, Luke of the Bushwhackers, Owen Hart coming in at number 20, Rick Martell, Bret Hart, IRS, Johnny Polo, Scott Putzky, looking like the ultimate warrior randomly here. He's got tassels on, his hair's down covering his God. face. It's really weird. Um, Fatu, Marty Janetti, <laughs> Bart Gunn, 29 is Shawn Michaels, and number 30 is Doink. So, a lot of the guys at the beginning get eliminated, and we get this Royal Rumble kind of cut in half of 15 competitors, basically. Diesel runs a lot of the uh, lot of the front half of this Royal Rumble, getting a lot of uh, eliminations here, and then eventually getting eliminated like a weird, weird spot, but... Um, yeah, Diesel gets eliminated by Macho Man, and he's, like, assisting his legs over the top rope because Kevin could not get his leg over that top rope. Um, funny, but yeah. Then uh, the rest of the Royal Rumble comes down to Johnny Polo, Scott Putzky, Rick Martell, Bart Gunn, Doink, IRS, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Fatu, and Shawn. It's the latter half. We eventually get all those uh, those uh, those guys, Johnny, Scott, Rick, Bart, Doink, and IRS eliminated. And we're down to just Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Fatu, and Shawn Michaels. Uh, Fatu and Bret are battling, and Bret gets eliminated by Shawn here. Little, uh, little note there. And Razor comes out to distract Shawn Michaels. Interesting. Yeah. Razor comes out. The fans are really hot. Um, he distracts Shawn Michaels, a little payback from earlier in the night, and Semu gets swung into the ropes by Owen. The rope fucking breaks, and Owen ducks a oh. Owen ducks a kick. Semu hits Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is out of the ring. So, it's Fatu and Owen with a broken rope in the ring. <laughs> Semu comes out to support Fatu. Then Bret Hart comes out to support Owen. Come on, you gotta do it. Uh, drop kick to the back of Fatu. Owen Hart wins the new generation <laughs> Royal Rumble. 
and yay, Bret Hart and Owen celebrate. And that's the Madison Square Garden show from 1994. Okay, all right. You know what I find interesting about that is that um, a few things. Number one, um, the majority of those guys were in the 1994 Royal Rumble match later yes. that week. Um, with the exception of a few randoms like Johnny Polo and Scott Putzke. Um, Scott for the, the most part, warrior the majority, Putzke, it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was there was that. So it sounded like it was like a test run in some ways to see how the, 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 the Royal Rumble match um, later that week was going to be constructed and how they were going to go through it. Uh, what's also interesting about that is the finish that you talked about. Um, you said the final four was Brett Owen, Fatu, and Shawn yep. Michaels. That Three out of those four would end up being in the final four of – the 1994 Royal Rumble match later mm-hmm. that week with Luger p- replacing Owen Hart. So I'm kind of curious, based off of what took place later that week, were the was the original thought Owen to be in the final four with Brett? I think... I think um, and Sean and Fatu? I'm thinking Lex was main eventing a show somewhere else. They probably did three shows still at this time, unless he was a d- dark match for the Raw that they were doing that day. And Owen being a face at the time, they wanted him to go over and Brett, instead of saying, I don't want to win, I'll let Owen win. And that can add more to our tension of when we do split next week at the Rumble. Uh, Again, a lot of thought goes into That Raw was taped, correct? Like you said? The 10th. But I'm not sure if that day at MSG, maybe they had a show later that day where Lex main evented or somewhere else where Lex wasn't available. Lex was not on this show at all. Um, and Okay, so it, it's probably more likely that, that they had another show somewhere else. They, they did two shows, and it was, you know, considering it was a Monday mm-hmm. night um, that this house show took place, it's probably more likely that Lex main evented the other yep. town, uh, which if... If I'm not mistaken, it, it could be anywhere. They could they could have been Philadelphia. They could have been the Meadowlands in New Jersey. They could have been hell. They could have been in Connecticut yeah, for all I know. Definitely. Um, they like to keep the keep the the, the crews somewhat close together in the event that they had to make a switch um, on some of those cards. But yeah, that's it. That's a that's a yeah. good point. I didn't if, even think if, of that. if I remember correctly, on the Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson show, um, something to wrestle with, they do mention that. Uh, I think around 92 to 94 that they ran uh, house show Royal Rumbles. And this was kind of like one of the last ones that they would do. Um, And they were talking about having multiple times at the town. You had an A-town, B-town, sometimes you even had a C-town. So, uh, yeah, we don't know. Maybe, Maybe Lex Luger was at the Schweddy Balls Bingo Hall. Who knows? Yeah. I, you know what? It's funny that you talk about the A towns and the B towns and the C towns. Um, if you go on Twitter and you search for the history of pro wrestling, or I think it's the history of wrestling uh, yes. Twitter page, they like to show um, the, um, the 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 cards from uh, from from the programs, the old uh, the the old programs. Oh, cool. and sometimes do like a comparison of uh, which show was better. So like it's, it's like the A show or the B Ooh. show. Um, and some of the cards are pretty fascinating. Like there was one in '87, uh, not to go off topic a little bit, but there was one in '87 w- with um, Hogan, Savage, and Steamboat 
against Brett, uh, the Hart Foundation, Brett and Jim the Anvil Neidhart, and the Honky Tonk Man in a six-man tag team match. And they ran the Pontiac Silver Dome in the summer of 87 after that WrestleMania. They, granted, they only, they only drew like 12... 12 or 13,000 people and they had to obviously curtain off the the, the majority of the building but still uh, notable yeah hope i know it was pretty cool hogan savage and steamboat which were three of my favorites back then so um i, I i'll definitely uh maybe we could find a link for it or something and put it up on uh put we'll it up put on in the, the link of, the of uh, when we post of, the show you know, yeah definitely um like last week's show i posted yeah, uh on the facebook feed i posted the match of the fujinami and backland as well as the tiger mask and dynamite kid yes so, um i'd like to do that for our episodes yes. um so any content that we have we're gonna have the segment from this week the piper's pit will be the featured moment from this week um in our facebook feed yes yeah so uh moving on with the day 1999, you want to flash forward to that year? I mean, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, January 17th, 19, you could hear it in my voice, I know, right? Um, you know, there's, don't get me wrong, I love doing this show with you, man, and there's a lot of fun things about it, and then there's stuff that's not so fun about it, and you wonder why, um, and this would happen to be you one of them. WCW like presented you sold out 1999. Yeah. I understand. I'm sorry, but yeah, no, no not not necessarily. No, I, that, I, I, I get just it. Just wonder why, like, <laughs> I'm I'm just fucking with you. But um, this is one of the reasons. No, I know, I know. Um, WCW sold out 1999. What the fuck were they guys, thinking? Book this shit again. Another um, thing that we've mentioned, like WCW um, shows, it's like they have this whole roster and then they just fuck up the card. Yeah, this is like Starcade 98 Part 2 all over again. Let's just put a bunch of guys nobody gives a shit about on this card, and we'll give you a little bit of what you like. But for the most part, we're going to present you something that's going to make you want to change the goddamn channel. <laughs> so here we are. Um, luckily, I didn't buy this event. I went to someone's house who had one of those scramblers at the time to Hell watch yeah. this. And I, I'll never forget, I was sitting in a group of with a group of friends and the opening match was Chris Benoit from the four horsemen against Mike Woo! Enos, who was once known as one of the Beverly yep. brothers in the WWF. Yep. And we're all looking at each other like, well, I knew who Mike Enos Blake. was, but a lot of other people in the room were like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, Blake Beverly. Yes. And everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy? And, and then I thought to myself, I was like, Benoit is a part of the Horsemen. Is feuding with the NWO. Why are you opening this card with Chris Benoit versus one half of the fucking destru destruction crew from the AWA? Yep. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't understand it. it. Like I, I would have much rather seen like Benoit versus like a member of the NWO. Yeah. Like if they put him in there with like, like trying uh, to... Bagwell, or if they put him in there with. Yeah. Oh, they're trying to like book an episode of Nitro or Brian Adams or even Scott Norton, yeah. like. I was like, what the hell is like this? A, it's like a booked episode of Nitro or Saturday Night. This, You know what? I, I, I mentioned on our very first show when we discussed uh, the Starcade 98 being the greatest episode of WCW Thunder yes. alive out yes. there. Like, Starcade 98 is the equivalent of the best episode of WCW Thunder they ever produced. Sold Out 1999 <laughs> is a great edition of WCW Power Hour. <laughs> <laughs> Except this hour went two hours too long um, because, holy shit, it only continues um, with uh, 
Norman Smiley taking on Chavo Guerrero. Yeah. And I guess the storyline was was that Norman um, had stolen Pepe, the wooden horse, and then threw him in a wood chipper, and Norman comes out with an urn full of, uh, you know, stuffed horse. So dumb. Um, which is so dumb. But this was their way of trying to give Norman a personality, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Freeman. I mean, it Norman's is what it is. Way. Yeah. They did an angle where... Uh, um, Goldberg was attacked uh, by most likely the NWO. Yes. Um, and so his he leg had some or questions ankle. whether he was going to, yeah, his knee, yeah, his left knee, where you were questioning whether he was going to make it to the main event against uh, Scott Hall later in the evening. Um, here's one that really just like kind of like I forgot about. And then when I watched it earlier, I was like, oh my God, there's a good reason why I forgot about it. Finley took on Fit Van, Van Hammer. Ugh. And Van Hammer was doing some sort of like hippie gimmick. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Like Van Hammer is not a regular, and yet you're still putting him on. Like, what? Who? He's a mainstay for WCW since like 1990. I, I, I'm just curious to know, like, yeah, I mean, he'd been there forever, but like, he was always like a WCW Saturday Night main event guy. Right. <laughs> Again, this is the Power Hour not, edition. You know, um, oh my goodness! And yeah, I was Mike like, who, Eno's who hammer. filled out the survey? Yeah. Yep. Who uh, like who filled out the survey and said, "Oh, I'd love to see," you know, because Bischoff was always known for doing one of those focus groups. I'm just mm. curious to know, like, who filled out the survey and said, "I'd like to see more of Mike Enos, Van Hammer, and Norman fucking Smiley on my pay per views." Yeah, yeah. Don't um, all jump out at once. I mean, come on. <laughs> Well, this is West Virginia, so they're probably they they might have done the focus group there. Um, oh my goodness! No, yeah. no offense, yeah. audience of ten thousand, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bam Bam Bigelow goes up against Wrath next. Um, this is supposed to be like a hoss fight. What do you think of this one? It wasn't terrible. Um, I was just a little confused because, like, I liked Wrath. Um, at that time, they were kind of put. They were kind of positioning him with like an undefeated streak, and then they they fed him to Kevin Nash on the road to Starcade, and he lost that undefeated streak. But he was still pretty popular, mm-hmm. and I was enjoying some of his matches. Um, I had a soft spot for the Adam Bomb character, which you brought up earlier. Um, he yeah. was a guilty pleasure of mine. He's on I, I like the shows. look. Yeah, I like the look uh, of him, and I just thought. I don't know, like, I mean, he wasn't was the greatest wrestler in the world, but yeah, I was a fan too. So, I didn't mind the the, the the Bigelow Wrath match. The only thing that I was confused by was that, like, um, I don't remember the setup for this match, uh, mainly because Bigelow was, like, all over the place. Like, he was part of the finish for Starcade that we talked about a few weeks ago, and uh-huh. he had his issues with Goldberg, but then Goldberg had his issues with the NWO, um, screwing him, and it was just very, like... It was confusing. Like you, you couldn't keep up. So um, right, this wasn't a terrible match, um, but I, I, I probably would have preferred, you know, a, a better buildup. And it made me feel like that they just threw Bigelow on the card to throw him on the card because they were kind of building him up to be some somebody of importance on the on the show because of his Definitely. interactions with Goldberg. But if that was the case, why didn't you just do something with him and Goldberg instead? Like, right. and I'll get into Bigelow in a little bit regarding Goldberg. But I just felt like this was something like, all right, let's just, it's like they drew names out of a hat. Like, 
honestly. Like, and who's going to wrestle on this card this month? Because either that or all the, the, the big-name talents decided not to show up, and they just picked all the B-team guys and said, here, we'll give you a payday. Come on. Yeah. But um, uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, we have Lex Luger and Conan, and the only thing that really came up in my mind regarding this match is why is Conan asking Lex Luger to so- toss his salad and peel his potatoes? Peel That's my potatoes. Want- That's all I want to know. He wanted I-, I was like, toss my salad and peel my potatoes. There's ranch. I- He's like naming the dressings. Uh, yeah. A lot of uh, gay innuendo stuff going on, you know, yeah, at the I time. Mean, that was the was, cool thing to do. Yeah. Like, what? But what? T- All right, let me ask you something. What young, impressionable teenage boy at that time, which was the market demographic that Conan's character was, was, was targeting, what teenage boy would find... Find another man tossing another man's salad and peeling his potatoes well, to be uh, to be appealing. I'll have you know, Dave. Okay. Uh, me right here, nineteen ninety nine. I was a twelve year old and I had no fucking clue what he meant. But I was like, <laughs> I am rowdy, rowdy, and bowdy, bowdy. Yup, yup. Peel, oh toss his salad, toss his salad, dude. Why don't you suck so- his dick too? <laughs> suck it. Like, no wonder. Like. I, you know, I have no problem with with homosexuals at all, and like I, I'm a heterosexual, but it's just like there's so much stuff. Like I look back at with wrestling culture, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, yeah, it's like covered in like yeah. homosexuality stuff, like undertones, you know? Yeah. So uh, should we care about the finish of this? Because uh, okay, Liz I mean, sprays Conan in the eyes, and uh, he gets racked by. Um, by Lex, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. All done. Next. Okay. <laughs> Perry Saturn against Chris Jericho. And this is a loser has to wear the dress. And this is classic Jericho for me with Ralphus coming out and everything. Um, and having the collusion this with was Scott good Dickinson. Stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this was good stuff. I, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought the, the dress stipulation was cool, and um, Jericho was really setting himself apart from the rest of the roster because at the time it was basically a, a, an NWO free-for-all on TV. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I thought it was good stuff. I liked it. Yeah, there's a no really cool it. ending, too, with like a Death Valley driver countered into a lion tamer. Yes, um, I, yes, that was good. Dude, really fucking cool. That was um, good. But it's a quick match again, 10 minutes, um, and uh, there's a quick count by referee Scott Dickinson. Again, like I said, collusion with Jericho. He paid him off, and uh, Saturn has to wear the dress, and he chases them off, and not too much to say after that, right? Pretty much, yeah, as we move on to a fatal four-way cruiserweight championship match. It was Kidman defending the cruiserweight title against Rey Mysterio. Uh, Juventud Guerrera and La Parca. Originally, Eddie Guerrero was supposed to be a part of this match. Yeah. Uh, but Eddie Guerrero, unfortunately, was involved in a, a serious car accident uh, prior to that. Uh, I think like a few weeks prior. So Yeah, psychosis. one that would ultimately affect his career overall, too. Yeah, he was out of action for quite a while. Yes. Um, from at, following that. But, um, yeah, this match was fun. Typical Cruiserweight stuff. I wasn't disappointed. Um, and it really showed the ascension that they were um, 
they were the, the Kidman was on. His character was on. The month prior, he wrestled two matches at Starcade, uh, defeating Mysterio and Juventud, and then defeating Eddie Guerrero in a singles match following it. And all four of these guys just brought it. It worked really well. And uh, there were times where it might have been a little clunky, um, but for the most part, the the high flying action I think made up for it. Yeah, um, there was yeah, like I agree. There, it definitely took a couple minutes to get started in this match. Um, yep. You could tell like they were having like some communication or trying to just block everything out, and then once it started going, it, it got into it and hyperdrive. The dives out um, to the outside, everybody had like their own special dive on the outside, which was awesome. Um, Hoovy ends yeah. the match uh, getting hit with that shooting star press by Kidman. 15 minutes here, nearly. Um, pretty cool. Pretty cool, though. Um, you know, uh, uh, going back to, again, WCW Revenge. I, uh, You know, you had all these guys playable on that game, and you would just do your little four-way battle royals, and those were always fun. Um, so this is much like one of those matches. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I felt the positioning on the card was interesting, too. Like, because normally those cruiserweight matches, especially on a pay-per-view, are like the first or second match on the card. This one was pretty high up on the card. So, yeah, um, third, third from the third from the top. Not that I'm some kind of expert by any means. But like I said, at the at, when we discussed this at the beginning, who the fuck thought Benoit and Mike Enos was a great way to start the show? Yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, maybe this should have been. I mean, maybe they wanted to try something different by putting them later like, on and yeah. much higher up on the card, but I would have much rather have seen this match open the show than Chris Benoit and Mike Enos, who had no beef whatsoever. Right, right. Uh, moving on, we have backstage uh, segment with Booker T. He wants a word about the Jericho-Saturn match, and he challenges Jericho, and he's you know claiming he's got the referee in his pocket, and... Uh, yeah, they have a match on Nitro the next night, which uh, Booker T ends up winning. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a good way to introduce you know Jericho into a new rivalry, even though he would still work with Saturn later on. Uh, you know, but, but you you kind of mentioned it earlier. The amount of talent that was left off this card, as compared to like the guys that were wrestling on this show, like Booker T wasn't even on the card. He was in a backstage altercation with Jericho. Why yep. wasn't Booker T on this card instead of fucking Van Hammer? Yeah, I mean, like, come on, like, what? Honestly, what was what were they thinking? Like, I could have done with Fit Finley and Booker T. That's a classic yes. match. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they made it like if you put something up for grabs, like a shot at the at the TV, TV title, title or yeah. you know, the, the, whatever. The, you know what I mean? Like, yep. Do something to make it make it care about it. Like nobody gave a shit about Finley and Van Hammer. Nobody gave a shit about Mike Enos and Benoit. Nobody gave a shit about Norman Smiley and Chavo Guerrero. And right. then eventually nobody gave a shit about the show in general. So No, yeah, exactly. And we're like we're kinda like dwindling out here and uh we have Rick Flair teaming up with his son David Flair. This is David Flair's first ever wrestling match going against Barry Windham and Kurt Henning. Um, so this is a feud kind of built off of Rick calling them horsemen rejects. Yeah. Um, and, uh, them assaulting David and Rick, right? Yeah. I mean, um, really siding with the NWO. Yeah. I mean, this really all got started where like, you know, Flair took over as the boss of WCW. So therefore he was kind of 
going going down the the checklist of people that have burned him in the past, and you know. Could, Kudos to WCW for staying, you know, keeping up with the continuity and the storytelling because Flair, you know, one of the main reasons why he wanted to get a hold of, of Kurt Henning was because of when Henning betrayed the Horseman a year and a half prior. Yes. So I thought that was kind of cool that they kept up with the, the consistency in the storyline. Yes. Um, and including Barry Windham, who's got history in the Horseman. He was once a member of the Horseman. Um, yep. I don't know if he was a full-fledged NWO member at this time. No, but, this was uh, like the schism that would go on where they would be the West Texas, West Texas Rednecks in due yes, time. So I remember. Uh, they kind of split from the NWO, and uh, that's that. Really what's memorable about this match, more than anything, I think it went a little too long for my liking, but was the beatdown at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, when the NWO came down and they beat up David Flair um, and and whipped him really bad with that weight belt. Um, yeah. and, I, and I remember watching uh, of this course, earlier. Rick Flair. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. You know, yeah. just, yeah. You could hear him visibly tell Hogan to go fuck himself at yeah. one point during the, during, the, during the whole exchange. Yeah. But um, this is what... What I remember more about this than anything else was, like I said, the beatdown. But when I looked in the ring and I thought to myself, and this is the first time I thought thought about this in 20 years. But back then in 1999 watching this, I was like, all right, same old shit. This is the NWO just doing what they do best, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crowd was into it because they were chanting, we want Sting. and Yes. Um, which I thought was kind of cool, and I was kind of hoping for a Sting run-in because he was out for he was out with an injury. So yep. I was really hoping that like he would come back and, and it would kind of be him against the NWO years. again. Yeah, it's three years after the original Sting uh, incident with NWO, nearly. Yeah, you know. So um, like Flair being handcuffed, I thought that was a nice touch, and they really put a beating on David Flair. But looking back and seeing all these guys in the NWO, I felt to myself at the time, you know. Yeah, the two NWOs split up, and then they were against each other, and then eventually they reformed and became all big one giant NWO all over again. Right. But I was really digging the 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 new Wolfpack, so to speak, with like with with you know Hogan and Luger and Hall and Nash and Bagwell and Steiner, like that like core group of like the the elite kind of players yep. of the NWO yep. and. And I was getting a little confused. I was like, well, if they're NWO, why do these guys have the black and white shirts and these guys are only wearing the red and black? Why don't they come? Like, this is my OCD coming into play. I was like, why can't they just come up with a new color scheme for them and they all wear the same fucking shirt? But then at the same time, I thought to myself, why didn't they just trim the fat? Like, I felt like in the storyline... They, and this is me playing fantasy Booker, and I hate to do this, but why didn't they? Why why not in the storyline they go go the route of okay, Hogan and Nash are going to reform the NWO, but let's trim a little bit of that fat so the NWO can stay crisp and stay mm-hmm. stay on top. Like mm-hmm. I was hoping that like Horace Hogan, Virgil, Stevie Ray, Brian Adams, all gone from the NWO. Yeah. Like I would have loved to have seen Hogan Hall, Nash, Buff, Steiner, Luger, uh, Kurt Henning. And I had a soft spot for Scott Norton because I love Scott Norton. I just thought he was a very physical, <laughs> so um, imposing guy, and I thought he would have been a. He, I thought he would have been a good addition to that NWO, um, you know, and just stay like the red, the new red and black, so to speak. But yeah. um, they didn't do that. They had you clearly had an NWO A team and a B team, and they were really running amok. Um, but 
you know, that, that's what I took away from that segment. It was a good beatdown. It got some good heat, and it made you a little bit interested in Flair and Hogan, even though I didn't really have too much interest in seeing Flair and Hogan for the title at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I was more or less interested in seeing like guys like Sting come back, Goldberg kind of run through the NWO. Um, like I said to, like I said on the Trading Places episode of Kicking Out at Two, what I really wanted to see was Hogan get kicked out of the NWO and Nash and Hall lead the NWO, and right. Hogan kind of go on the redemption tour of trying to get him, you know, get back in the good graces of not only WCW but of the fans as well. But we, you know, right. saw same old shit NWO as usual, and uh, yeah, enough of me rambling. That's what I took from it, and you know, it, no, I love it. It wasn't, I love it. It, it, it wasn't a bad beatdown. No, I agree. And what 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 I kind of took away from it is two points here: Sting being um, chanted by the crowd, you know, them calling for him. It just goes to show, yeah, uh, that story being three years old with him and the NWO, and they like they kind of killed it yeah. in a way. But the fans just give the fans what they want. Sometimes, if they would have done that right. The fans still exactly. wanted it at that time in 1999, and you can hear it in that crowd. Um, they're like yearning for it right there. So if they would have done yeah. that, you know, just give them what the fuck they wanted. Instead, they had Sting joining Red and Black, and then they like, oh, I hated messed it. up. Uh, yeah, like, uh, so take a ride with me real quick as I like give you my little rundown of my like fantasy booking of NWO real quick. It, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It I'm would go. You. It would go. The originals, black and white. Um, you know, the original three, and then we go to six eventually. Um, and then they get shot down by Sting, that 1997. From that, we get Red and Black, which is just the Outsiders at that time. Okay. So then Hogan comes back mid-year with the White and Black and his cronies. And they start feuding with Red and Black. But mm -hmm. they they, you know, they eventually... They eventually like collide, and from that we kind of get them eventually coming together later. You know, after the, the the red and black and the white and black shut each other down, they come black. They come back yeah. as silver and black without Hogan at all. So like kind of the same thing. And then Hogan does his thing, vanquishes the NWO. Later, you can come back with Hogan coming back as like gold and black, or red and you know like. NWO, like, if, you know, if you wanted to throw him back in there, like, uh, just fucking around. But, yeah, um, they could have done so mm -hmm. much more, okay. but they kind of just. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So, uh, again, the, um, yeah, NWO mess here beating down um, Rick and David. And David gets, uh, gets some good lashings here. Did he ever? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so, all right, moving on. Yeah, the main event, um, the NWO's Scott Hall uh, taking on Goldberg in a um, ladder stun gun match where the object of the match is to climb a ladder and grab the stun gun, the infamous stun gun that caused uh, Goldberg's streak to end and for him to lose the world heavyweight title a month prior at Starcade to Kevin Nash. Yep. And uh, this wasn't a bad match. No, um, not, a, not I, a bad video package at the beginning either. 
Exactly, yeah. I thought that was a good way of setting it up, too. And um, even the ongoing story throughout the night of Goldberg's injury, is he going to make it out? Um, I'm sure we all knew that that was going to happen. They weren't going to not give us the main event. Yeah, um, old baby face. I mean, that's that's trope. only something that TNA used to do. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this this is WCW at the time. Yeah. Now I'm really now I'm not going retro for after that comment. But um, yeah. Well, overall, I thought it was pretty good. Um, the end, you know, with Goldberg stunning Hall and then. Bigelow coming out and kind of resuming his issues um, with Goldberg and, and Hall kind of getting the last laugh. Um, I was just kind of curious. Well, where's the NWO? Uh, right. They were out. They were out earlier. Why didn't they come out to help Hall? Like I didn't get it. Like there was no stipulation where they were banned from ringside. Where the hell did the NWO go? You know what yeah. I mean? I just thought it was kind of. They're all um, gone. Yeah, they were all gone. They all left, and it was like, all right, Scott, you take care of the rest. Um, but I, this was where I was like a little bit confused with the Bigelow situation because uh, Bigelow had, you know, for two months basically gotten involved um, with Goldberg and they were on a collision course and they were trying to build up to a match with the two of them. But at the same time, um, you know, it would ju- everything just seemed to be very chaotic from a storyline perspective. There was a yeah. lot of moving parts, a lot of guys all over the place, and this was without Vince Russo writing for WCW at the time. He didn't have the book. But um, I, I was almost, as a kid, I almost remember saying to myself, um, why didn't Flair just put Bigelow and Goldberg together as a team to try and take out the NWO? Right, and then or, let them like kind of get at each other, like almost like Flair saying, "Like, all right, you want to keep your job? You want a piece of Goldberg? You got to take out the NWO for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut the the head off the snake with Hogan. You guys take care of the rest, um, and, and, and kind of go that route. But they just, it was just like I said, very all over the place, um, and very anticlimactic way to end the show. Like I said, Hall kind of grabbed the taser gun, zapped them both again, and then boom, we rolled credits and we were, you know, oh, we were dude, out of there he now. didn't zap him. He he. He went to touch him and he flinched and the the effect went off and it, it just it looked terrible. Oh really? I missed that. I didn't oh, even see yeah. that. I missed that. Damn, I'll have to go back and watch it. But yeah. Very terrible. So, but uh but he sold oh. for a half a second and then he expected to get hit. So he kinda paused and waited to get hit from behind. <laughs> yeah. Overall, yeah. when it comes to this show, I uh, I'll be honest with you, it's it's a mixed bag for me. There's some there's some solid stuff in there, but then there's a lot of stuff that makes you scratch your head. And then of course, the 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 guys that were even on the card in the first place, and the amount of talent that wasn't on this show yeah. was just still baffling to me. So it, I, I if mean, I'm I kinda if right. I look at uh, WCW in like a bubble, you don't need to watch this pay per view. Oh God, no, absolutely not. Unless you have nothing else to do. Correct. <laughs> with your life. So, that's so we where did it. We did our 99. due diligence. That's the that's like day four of 365 out of the that's year. Right. So we're done with this day. We'll never talk about that. That that awful sold out again. <laughs> no, we won't. Unless. Yeah. Well, no, we won't. We'll make we'll make it a point. Yeah. Not to talk about WCW sold out 1999 ever again. No, but next week we'll be covering sold out 1998, which will be cool. Um I kind of yeah, preferred that. Yes, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, we yeah we got a lot to cover next week. Um, but before we get into next week, uh, I thought it would be fitting that we kind of end this end January seventeenth. Um, last few weeks we've been talking about Raw and Nitro. 
Yeah. And episodes from 2000. And, you know, you and I kind of discussed it off air about, you know, kind of scaling back a little bit and only discussing things that, you know, are most notable or important. And I'm sure that there's going to be some of you out there that are listening. And by all means, we are open to suggestions. Our suggestion box is never ending. So by all means, send us suggestions of what you want to hear. If we miss something. There's a reason why 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 we didn't mention it, but if you want us to talk about it, we will, or maybe we right. won't. Who knows? But you can hit us up on social media at Retromania on Facebook and slide into our DMs. And uh, if, if we miss something, by all means, you know, like I said, there's a reason why. But um, I thought I would mention this didn't happen on this particular episode of Nitro on January 17th of 2000, but um, this was the day that. Uh, Chris Benoit, who we mentioned earlier, as well as uh, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero walked out of WCW. Yes, the very night after the sold out 2000 pay per view. Yep. Um, which I thought was um, an interesting development. Uh, Benoit had just won the world title the night prior, defeating Sid Vicious in the main Crazy. event, um, which was a very. Um, reconstructed card because of all the injuries that took place and kind of his crowning moment there too right yeah and i'll never forget when i read when i read the results of that pay-per-view and i heard that the match was pretty good and i've gone and watched it in years you know years later and it was a pretty damn good match between sid and and benoit um and then they closed the show at the end with Benoit um, being interviewed by Mean Gene, discussing his world title win, and then Nash approaching Benoit and saying, you know, stroke of midnight, I'm the boss, and I'm going to make your life a living hell. I was looking forward to seeing what they were going to do to Benoit, and Benoit was going to be like the, 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 the main focal point character for them as the champion because for years he had been looked at as – a guy with so much potential and so much promise, but just not getting the right breaks because of the political atmosphere in WCW. And I was looking forward to seeing how they were going to, how they were going to go with Benoit against Nash and the new NWO, the silver and black. And when he walked out, I was like, well, you know, that doesn't surprise me. And, and, um, History has showed us throughout the time period within the last week of that time period in 2000, Vince Russo was ousted as the booker. They went with Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon. Sullivan and Benoit had their issues personally behind the scenes because Benoit um, slept with Nancy Sullivan, who was married to Kevin Sullivan, and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff going on at that point. But, um, yeah, what a crazy thing. There's an interesting story I kind of wanted to bring up here before we we wrap things up this week um, regarding that situation. Uh, I watched a shoot interview not too long ago with Mike Graham, who's no longer with us. Uh, Mike Graham was in, you know, the son of the late Eddie Graham from Florida Championship Wrestling. Wrestled in AWA? Wrestled, yeah, right. AWA. WCW? NWA? Yeah, WCW, NWA, uh, Florida Championship Wrestling as well. Um, Big part of the territory down there. And uh, Mike Graham also worked behind the scenes as an official for WCW. Now, um, this shoot interview, I mean, it seems very one-sided and biased, I will say. Mike Graham basically claims to be the reason why WCW was successful because he was the one that told Bischoff to hire Hogan. He's the one that told Bischoff to run TV at MGM Studios and Disney. He's the one that told Bischoff to do more pay-per-views and get rid of Clash of Champions. He claims that he was the guy that gave Bischoff the keys to the kingdom. Okay. And so this is a very if if you go and you watch this back, you're going to you'll 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 be able to tell this is a very one-sided, you know, uh, interview uh, and, right. and Graham's not one to 
mince words. He does not have a nice thing to say about Bischoff. He blames Bischoff as the reason why that company, uh, you know, folded in the first place. It was all Bischoff's fault. And, yeah. you know, we'll, I'm sure on this show and on my show and kicking out of two, the the roller coaster existence of WCW will be discussed more at length, but that's oh, another course. discussion for another day. Um, Benoit and Graham, the day that Benoit walked out, apparently had some words, according to Mike Graham. And I guess um, Benoit went to Bill Bush, who was the president of WCW at the time. And this was after Russo was boost, uh, booted out of the position as the uh, the head booker and went to Bill Bush and said, um, I don't feel comfortable with you know Kevin Sullivan being in charge and I think he's going to try and sabotage and ruin my career. And, uh, you know, I, I want him gone. Otherwise, we're all leaving. Right. And this is according to Mike Graham. Okay. And Bill Bush basically told them, that, um, you know, I can't do that. I'm not going to fire him over you guys. You know, Bill Bush was trying to be the one to work things out. And somehow in that conversation, I guess, Benoit had name dropped Mike Graham. And, you know, saying that Mike Graham's another guy that's going to, you know, sabotage and ruin our careers. And so Mike Graham, according to Mike Graham, you know, I'm not going to speak ill of the dead, but, you know, he shows himself in a very favorable light in this in this shoot interview, goes to Benoit and and basically, um, oh, this is according to Mike Graham. Mike Graham said that, you know. Um, I don't know what you're doing, but I don't know what issue you have with me. But, uh, you know, Kevin thinks, you know, Kevin Sullivan thinks highly of you. He just put the world title on you last night. Um, You know, and if it were me, I'd do the opposite because, you know, if I had someone, some guy that stole my wife and stole, you know, my condo in, in Daytona Beach and took everything from me. I'd cut your head off on a fucking stick and put it in the front yard so all the kids could kick it around like a soccer ball. Yeah. And <laughs> I guess, according to Mike Graham, Benoit went to Human uh, Human Resources within Turner and told them that Mike Graham threatened his life. Wow. And so then Mike Graham had to have um, a talking to with Human Resources and J.J. Dillon. And um, truth be told... Benoit and company were gone, and they eventually would go to the WWF uh, yeah. just a few weeks later. But uh, yeah. that's the story, according to Mike Graham, as to what took place on that particular wow. day, the day after Benoit um, won the championship from Sid. Uh, like cool I said, story, if you ever man. look for it, like it. Um, shoot, uh, shoot interview uh, from RF Video uh, on YouTube. It's uh, Mike Graham. Uh, talking about um, his time in WCW, you know, I'm sure you'll get a chuckle out of it, yeah. and uh, now, you know, now, find some interesting little nuggets from it. Yeah. Now, can I get a stab at uh, Kevin Sullivan uh, impersonation real quick? Yeah. The guy Chris Benoit, it, it's just a fantastic wrestler. So I gotta put the title on him, regardless of him fucking my wife. <laughs> That's a good Sullivan. That's probably one of the We're best making money. Sullivans I've heard. We're making money. <laughs> brother. Yeah. Brother. We're making money, brother. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like <laughs> I like it. I like it. I can get right. behind it. I, I think Kevin Sullivan's probably going to have to make more appearances on Marking Out the Day. Oh, uh, he can. For sure. Uh, I got to look at my. Oh, I'm free. I'm totally free. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's good. That's good, man. Right, I you like want to continue like on with uh thank you. You want to continue on with the uh, 2000 Nitro edition that that side story was awesome um, by the way. The uh well, I mean the only thing of of real note was that this was like the changing of the guard in terms of the booking. So they were kind of wrapping again. things up that Russo yeah, again that they, that Russo was doing. So we got the end of the DDP Buff Bagwell um, you know, storyline which I enjoyed personally. I thought it's something right. that could have dragged on a little longer, but they uh they they had a match on Nitro it was the main event and uh Kimberly was the guest referee, mm. so um, they were kind of like tying up Russo's loose ends there. Uh, I thought that was some uh, some solid stuff. And then uh, the NWO was still kind of running rough shot, but this time officially they didn't have to worry about the old age outlaws anymore. Uh, Nash was the commissioner. It was him and Jarrett and Scott Steiner, and they kind of added uh, the Harris brothers, Ron and Don Harris, to, to the group. Um and they were going to be crowning a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Like I said, it was that day, I believe, that Benoit had uh, handed the title over to Bill Bush and walked out of the company. Yep. Um, and that's when they set up uh, the, the storyline with the NWO and Sid, because Sid was really the only one left. Goldberg was out with an injury. Um, he had sliced his arm, putting it through a limousine window. Bret Hart was out with an injury. Um, you had all the big players out. Sting was out. I mean, everyone, you know, all the top guys that you could work, you know, that, that you could put the NWO against, there wasn't much left. So Sid was the guy, and uh, it was pretty much a changing of the guard on that episode of Nitro. That's, that's really all that I, um, that, that I remember that was of, uh, was of importance. Agreed. Um, same here. Um, and that was from Columbus, Ohio, so staying in the Correct. upper northeast for this episode. Huh? Yes. Um, yes. And Moving on to the other episode of Monday Night Raw, right? Yes. From New Haven, Connecticut, the New Haven Coliseum, uh, a building that's no longer in existence that has been torn down for a number of years. I actually went to the last um, event at the New Haven Coliseum in 2002. It was the night after uh, SummerSlam 2002 when SmackDown ran a house show. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was actually pretty cool. I, that was the first time I'd ever went. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I went to a concert earlier that year, but um, it was the last ever event held at the New Haven Coliseum. And the main event was, uh, I believe it was, uh, was Kurt Angle a part of it? I forget. But it was a SmackDown house show. Brock wasn't on the show. The Rock was not on the card either. But you had like the, the likes of Guerrero, Edge, Benoit, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, um, Names like that that were a part of uh, the the SmackDown uh, brand at that time in 2002. But this episode of Raw in 2000 um, was the go home edition for uh, the Royal Rumble, and so you had all kinds of uh, you know uh, loose ends that needed to be tied up before you got to the Rumble. But this episode of Raw, for me personally, what I remember most about it was when the Dudleys put Terry Runnels through the table, and this was the or was it Terry? Was it May? No, it was May Young. They put May Young through the table, excuse me. Yeah. And um the and this was the first time that the Dudleys used a table like that in WWE. And this was the change, like I said, from the Bubba Ray stuttering gimmick to the, the more serious uh super heel Dudleys. This was probably the closest thing you would ever get to what they were in ECW. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Um Yeah, that that was cool. You get a you get a decent um what could have been a decent match between Rikishi and Jericho for the Intercontinental Championship. 
Um, but it, it, it was just filled mm-hmm. with so much shit with the China stuff and everything. Um, oh, yeah. Then you have Test, our boy Test, coming off that hot rub from, uh, you know, <laughs> the wedding shit. Almost being a McMahon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He wins the hardcore title. Pretty cool, right? Oh, yes, that's right. Yep. Yes, that's right. I remember that now. Okay. Yeah, right. um, he gets uh, and the main event, and the he gets boss man with the nightstick. So that was the first match on the card, and he wins the hardcore title. That's before I guess it's kind of twenty four seven, right? It was more yeah, contained I as believe, a title. Um, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was just you know you know two guys in a match and you know sh- straight up, but you know with hardcore rules. Um, and then yeah, I think Test was the last guy to hold it before they did the twenty four seven thing, and that's that's when Crash would institute it, and the title would become you know what it's probably most known for now. Nice, yeah, yeah, big win for Test here, right? Um, all right, the main event: New Age Outlaws against Big Show and The Rock. This was yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you it know, it was a raw main event. Yeah, it was a raw main event, and you know, they were trying to really build on the seeds of dissension between the Rock and the Big Show because they were the two bigger names that were going to be in that Royal Rumble match um, later on that week. So uh, it was it was all right stuff. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not you know, I'm I'm not you know uh, losing sleep over uh, over over watching it or not watching it. I should say. Yeah, uh, we get the tension there with the Rock and Big Show building there, but uh, yeah, they're like like we said, go home to the Royal Rumble show where Cactus Jack would challenge Triple H. Yes, for the World Wrestling Federation Championship in a New York City street fight, which uh, um, Madison we, Square we, Garden we, again. Yes, another garden show. But that's not a rumble we'll be covering next week. As next no. week, we've, we're gonna we're gonna mark the days down. We are done with January the seventeenth. Thank you all so very very much for being a part of another edition of marking out the days with Kobe and myself. I hope you guys are enjoying this this nostalgic field trip down professional wrestling memory lane each and every week. The Magic um, School Bus of Wrestling the, Podcast. The Magic School Bus of Wrestling Podcast. That's right. We're gonna make a T-shirt out of that someday for <laughs> sure. Um, maybe even a three-quarter sleeve baseball shirt. But there we go. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm a three quarter sleeve baseball shirt kind of guy, especially this time of year. Sweet, um, you know, and, and going into the springtime in baseball season. But uh, yeah, next week we've got a lot. We got a lot of Royal Rumble to discuss for you on January the twenty fourth. Is we're going to be discussing the nineteen eighty eight Royal Rumble, which was the very first Royal Rumble. We'll also cover nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety nine, and we're also going to cover. NWA Bunkhouse Stampede, which took place on the same evening as the 1988 Royal Rumble. We'll probably touch upon some moments from Raw and Nitro episodes in 2000. If we don't, don't hold it against us, because there's a reason why we don't cover that <laughs> shit, okay? Just yeah. want you all to know that. But, we kind of put you know, a ceiling about about 15 years of coverage. 15 to 20 yeah. years, and then the notable things that are in between those 15 and 20 years, we just highlighted like we did. 
And we will also cover WCW Sold Out 1998, which was a much better show than 1999 and 2000 for sure. So we're probably going to enjoy discussing that show more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, There's moments from an episode of Monday Night Raw 1994, the night after the 1994 Royal Rumble. I'm sure there's going to be some nuggets there that we're going to touch upon. And a certain former World Wrestling Federation president who will be named nameless right now you'll have to tune in next week to find out has passed away on january the 24th in professional wrestling history so tune in next week right here for all of that and so much more on marking out the days yes indeed and we continue to mark out the days and dave you mark out a lot yourself uh those quote-unquote days but you turn them into podcasts and episodes over at Kicking Out at 2. And right now you're doing a lot of the rundown of the Royal Rumble. So we will be glossing over some of those Royal Rumble moments, but we'll be highlighting and lowlighting the stuff that we liked or did not like, as we always do here at Marking Out on the Day. Marking Out the Days. Um, so, Dave, you want to tell them what's going on over at Kicking Out at 2? All right, like I said earlier in the, at the top of this program, uh, oh, this I'm sorry. week on I'm Ki- sorry. No, 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 that's okay. I'll, 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 I'll. For those that missed it, you know, nothing wrong with a little refresher. Uh, <laughs> over at SoundCloud.com, you can find it. Search "Kicking Out at Two. We have the part two of our second place is the first loser Royal Rumble runner-up retrospective. Chris Donovan and I sit down to discuss runners-up from 2004 all the way to 2018. The wouldas, the couldas, and the shouldas, and how these runners-up fare in Royal Rumble history. And next week over at SoundCloud.com on January the 23rd, before marking out the day's drops, check us out over Kicking Out at 2, January 23rd, SoundCloud.com, as we are going to do a special Royal Rumble match watch-along from the year 1994 we talked a little bit about the build-up towards the royal rumble in 1994 on that episode of raw and that that fan cam show that kobe reviewed well we're gonna do a watch along of the 1994 royal rumble match most notably known for the first and only time two individuals were co-winners brett hitman Hart, lex luger simultaneously eliminated each other couldn't figure out a winner we went off the air without one definitive winner brett and lex became the co-winners of that Royal Rumble. We're going to do a special watch-along. I'm not sure who's going to be joining me at that time um, to to do the watch-along. I'm sure I'll find someone to sit down with me and discuss uh, and watch the 1994 Royal Rumble match. We're not going to do the whole show. not going to bore you for two and a half hours, but we're going to cover that Royal Rumble. It's going to be the 25th anniversary to the date that... Bret Hitman Hart and Made in the USA Lex Luger were the co-winners of the 1994 Royal Rumble match. So stay tuned next Wednesday, January the 23rd, SoundCloud.com, Royal Rumble 1994 Watch Along. Yeah, and where else can we find you at Kicking Out at 2? You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. You can hit that like button if you have not already. If you have, then please tell someone who loves throwback pro wrestling at its finest. We get all kinds of pictures and videos, discussions, links to archive shows. Head on over facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. And you can do so on Twitter as well. If you're not a Facebook guy, but you like to do the Twitter machine, <laughs> then you can head over to Twitter as well. Our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, the number two. 
the same kind of fun we're having over on Facebook. We're doing it on Twitter, but 140 characters or less. Kobe, why don't you let everyone know what's going on in your world at Retromania? Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. And I really do look forward to your shows more and more now that I've uh, we've collaborated more. I've been listening to your back archive and uh, stuff that you've been putting out recently. So I, I do look forward to these Royal Rumble rundowns. And uh, maybe I can be a co-compadre. I know we're supposed to watch something else later uh, this month. But uh, yeah, uh, I love to watch wrestling and podcast. And that's what we do over at Retromania blogspot.com as well as moholradio.com retromania we have hulkamania is dead and we just aired episode 12 where we had the 1990 SummerSlam and survivor series that's coming off the heels of sting winning the wwf championship from macho man's randy savage as well as the introduction of the undertaker this is a fantasy booked wrestling podcast it's the most original wrestling podcast where we like to have fun and uh uh, just book our own stuff since 1984 and we had hulk hogan have his leg broken and we we're doing it until 1993 so the next episode that will air is episode 13 the 1991 royal rumble and that's where we run down every contestant in the royal rumble we book it from the top to the bottom one through 30 and uh we have buzzers you know little storylines in between the match you know it's 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 a whole lot of fun so you can join in the fun on facebook at retromania with a w as well as twitter at retromania pod and you can always write to us at retromania podcast at gmail.com and uh we're open to suggestions and we love to have fun and that's what we do here is Try to grow the wrestling community and interesting wrestling podcast fandom, uh, you know, like that we have. You know, you and I have a good connection here, and uh, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys marking out the days. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely for sure. And uh, I will definitely have you on at some point in the very near future. Maybe, maybe you'll, uh, maybe you'll join me uh, for the the, the rumble. Uh, you know, uh, the watch along. Not sure yet. I got to cool. figure out a few things. I, got, I know there's a few other people I talked with that might be able to do it. And, and you know me from a technological standpoint. You're in Baltimore. I'm in Connecticut. <laughs> so, you know, we got to we got to figure out all yep. of that first before we get to, you know, um, you know, before before we get to it. But like, don't worry, man. You're definitely going to be on future no editions of kicking out of two. You're going to be you're going to be like furniture, man. At some point, you're going to be like furniture that you know it, it's going to be hard to get rid of. So, <laughs> but Thanks. um, yeah, I, I look forward to having you on many many episodes of kicking out of two in the very near future. Awesome, as well as you on Retromania. Um, uh, I need to do a catch up on Gaijin Wrestling Radio. So, kind of talking about Wrestle Kingdom, the avenue that they're going in new japan um and some nxt stuff i know you watched the nxt uk show uh recently yes um i had a lot of fun with that that was my first experience with nxt uk since the original tournament for the title with where pete dunn and tyler Bate had their classic match yes yes it was a fun show i will say um i i don't watch religiously every single week my i know my brother does and he loves nxt uk he thinks they're like the hottest brand that wwe has out right now and wow. i watched a few shows and it's it's not bad but okay. i haven't watched as religiously but this show the um was was a very good show um and agreed. certainly didn't disappoint yeah agreed um so yeah you can catch you and i on our separate feeds and as always here at 
marking out the days uh, again, Dave. Too sweet, you from uh, from Maryland to Connecticut, and uh, yeah, too sweet. Yes, indeed. Uh, have a good one, man. I'm gonna try to make it out to the grocery store while it's still snowing. We got like eight oh, inches boy. here right now, but uh, yikes. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you know how I measured? Um, no. Oh kidding. boy. <laughs> um, I had to do it three times. Sorry. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. Anyhow. On that note. Yes, indeed. All right, man. Uh, take care. All right.